Hey everybody, welcome in Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. Today we have our first of what could be many, but hopefully not too many as we wait for for baseball to come back here in the U.S., but we're doing some Orioles game rewatch pods here on the Locked On Orioles podcast, and you're going to get a two-parter starting today, today and tomorrow, as we went back and rewatched the 2012 AL wildcard game, the Orioles' first playoff game and playoff win since 1997, the victory in Arlington over the Texas Rangers. Uh, and we'll have a guest joining us for that conversation as well. But before we get to that, wanted to get to our greatest Oreo of all time bracket and give you an update on that. Remember, all the voting done on Twitter. Go to at LockedOnOrioles on Twitter to vote in the bracket. We have eight players who have made it onto the Sweet 16 at this point. That's Cal Ripken, Nick Markakis, Boog Powell, Bobby Gritch, Eddie Murray, Manny Machado, Adam Jones, and Mike Mussina are the Sweet 16 players on the left side of the bracket. As far as today's voting goes, we've got four matchups in the second round on the right side of the bracket. Got the number one seed Brooks Robinson taking on the eight seed Scott McGregor, five seed Dave McNally against four seed Melvin Mora, six seed Milt Pappas against three seed Brady Anderson, and seven seed Miguel Tejada against the number two seed Paul Blair. So you can Again, do all the voting on Twitter, at LockedOnOrioles. Make sure to head over there for all of the voting. We will wrap up the second round tomorrow, that's Tuesday, with the final region of second round voting. That includes Jim Palmer, Frank Robinson, Mark Belanger, and our one of our only two first round upsets, the 10 seed J.J. Hardy taking down Don Buford in the first round. But... Maybe some more upsets as we get deeper into the bracket. And then on Wednesday, we will start our Sweet 16 matchups. And that's where it gets really tough to uh, decide on some of these matchups when you get down to the final 16 greatest Orioles of all time. Make sure to stay tuned in at Locked On Orioles on Twitter for the voting. They come out every morning to go on Twitter and vote for the greatest Oriole of all time. And as well, if you go to our Twitter page, we uh, actually released the full bracket with all of the matchups, and you can go on and, and fill out your own bracket um, and send it back to us, tweet it back to us, and we will share that as well if you want to fill out your own bracket for the greatest Oriole of all time. But back to today's episode, again, part one of a two-part AL Wild card game in 2012 rewatch. Orioles and Texas Rangers with the O's winning it 5-1 over the Rangers in Texas to advance to the ALDS where they would take on the Yankees. And for this conversation, we were joined by Matthew Pine. He's a writer for Utah Street Report. He hosts his own podcast, his own Orioles podcast called the Foul Pole Pod uh, as an allusion to Nate McLeod hitting the foul pole, or did he, in Game 5 of that 2012 ALDS. But he joins us to talk about the AL wildcard game. We're going to break it down, talk about things we noticed. And um, if you do want to want to watch along with us, the full game is on YouTube for free. Um, we will post the link to the YouTube game here in the uh, description section of the podcast and on our Twitter account at Locked on Orioles. 
and you can head over there to watch the game along with us if you'd like um, and watch it along with this podcast and kind of see the things we saw as we break it down. On part one of the pod here today, it's going to take us uh, all the way up to the seventh inning stretch, so we're going to get more than half the game today that we talk about, and then tomorrow will take us through the end and kind of looking back on that 2012 Orioles team. But here we go with part one of our 2012 AL Wildcard rewatch episode with Matthew Pine. So we welcome Matthew Pine from Utah Street Report and the creator and host of the Foul Pole Pod here to the Locked On Orioles podcast. And Matthew, thanks so much for, for taking some time as we go down memory lane for the Orioles because there is no live baseball for a while. Yeah, it's felt like a pretty good activity to do while in quarantine. So, yeah, you know, you get to you get to watch some old games. Um, I know a lot of Orioles Twitter was watching the Curse the Andino game um, the other night, and now we look at the 2012 AL wildcard game, the Orioles and the Rangers, and obviously it's the first Orioles playoff win since 1997. What do you kind of remember from from watching that game, at least when it happened that night eight years ago? Yes, I was a, uh, a freshman in college, and uh, it was the first time I'd ever seen the Orioles be a winner, and um, didn't really know how to take it. I think my anxiety level was at an all-time high, um, especially with the uh, tying run at home plate in the ninth inning there, but um, that was really exciting. I mean, especially to win a game on the road against a team who had been to back-to-back World Series, it was pretty exciting as a fan. Yeah, and the same thing with me. I was in high school, I remember watching and just not knowing what to do. I mean, I was kind of hung on for every pitch throughout that season because I had never seen them have a winning record in my lifetime. Um, and then to to have that game essentially be a game seven, be the first playoff game um, I ever get to watch basically was a one-game elimination because it was the first year of the wild card. Uh, that ramped it up a lot. But, uh, but as we kind of get to it, you know, the Orioles – they they ease the tensions a little bit. Um, they they got on the board first um, in that game against you Darvish, who was the starter for the Rangers. It was a Nate McLeod three shot an error, stole second, mm-hmm. and JJ Hardy singled him in. And and just watching that game, just the weirdest part of it, first of all, was remembering that Nate McLeod was such a big part of that team, and that. The Orioles stole a base to to eventually get on top, which is something they did not do a lot under Buckshow Walter. Yeah, I remember listening to the broadcast, and I think John Smoltz was the one who said they were dead last in stolen bases that year. Uh, so I think, you know, coming out of the gate, that was really just kind of to set the tone. And it, and it did. They scored a run and uh, kind of took you Darvish off his game initially. So, you know, you got to do things differently in the playoffs. And it was, it was funny that year of you Darvish. It was... You know, his first year with Texas since they they signed him. And, you know, they talked about on the broadcast how he had like eight different pitches. Um, <laughs> and he was so good that year. And, and you know, it was uh, Cal Ripken, John Smoltz, and Ernie Johnson just like couldn't figure out how many pitches he was really throwing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Orioles kind of jumped right on top of him and and got that one nothing lead. But just looking at that lineup graphic uh, when rewatching the broadcast, I mean, Chris Davis was in right field because Nick Markakis <laughs> was injured. And, you know, when you think back on Manny Machado, you think about him coming up that year and being awesome those first couple games. He had the two-homer game, had the triple for his first hit. But then you kind of rewatch it and you remember 
he really didn't explode right when he came up. He was the number nine man in the Orioles order that day. I, that was the first note that I actually put down. Like the, he's how many people that have gotten $300 million contracts have batted ninth in their career? Like it's gotta be very few, if not only just Manny. So, um, you know, it was interesting to see. And, you know, you got JJ Hardy batting second and Chris Davis and Adam Jones kind of in the heart of that order. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was, that was the first thing that I, I took notice of. So they get the run and, and go up one, nothing in the top of the first. And then, uh, Joe Saunders t- takes the hill for the Orioles in the bottom of the first inning. And the graphic they showed opening the broadcast, he was like, Oh, and six with a nine point something ERA against the Rangers at, at the Rangers ballpark in Arlington. And just the trust of, of Buck Showalter to go with Joe Saunders just because it was his turn in the rotation and not save anybody else for a wild card game. Yeah, I kind of felt like I was watching like uh, Richard Blyer almost out there, like just yeah. junk ball for, you know, five, five and a third innings. So, uh, yeah, it's you got to make these these tough calls in the playoffs. And, you know, it didn't necessarily work out in the divisional series. But if you can if you can win that one wild card game, you set yourself up nicely for the uh, divisional round. So and and things didn't start out probably the way Saunders wanted them in the bottom of the first. He He walked Ian Kinsler and then. Elvis Andrus uh, singled, but I thought it was interesting. You know, I had mentioned it was it was Cal on the broadcast, and he kind of had a, a short-lived broadcasting career uh, with TBS, but they had him do that game. And especially early in the game, I kind of, I don't know if you noticed this, but I noticed why Cal hasn't done many more games uh, <laughs> broadcasting. And coming from someone who does broadcasting as a career, I, I noticed these things a lot more during games, but... But he, they're talking about Joe Saunders as he's facing uh, Ian Kinsler to start the game, and they're they're focusing a lot on how he hasn't walked a lot of guys, and that's what's yep. made him so good down the stretch. And Cal just goes, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I feel like Saunders hasn't walked anyone in a while. And I had to <laughs> pause it right there and go, you're broadcasting the wildcard game with all the information in the world that you could have, and you say on air, I don't have the numbers in front of me. And that just made me think, ah, oh, maybe that's why he hasn't done many games since then. Yeah, you definitely got to come prepared. Um, I think the best thing Cal did during that broadcast was kind of give some insight into like the oral players that the national broadcast audience didn't really know of. Like you, you look at Ryan Flaherty and you see he's got six home runs, and Cal goes, "Well, this guy's got some pop," and you don't necessarily see that. You know, the numbers don't jump off the page, but it, it's true. You know, Ryan Flaherty showed that in his career. And if there was anything that Cal did on that broadcast, I think that was it. Do you hate stepping on the scale? Maybe it's because you haven't met the right one. A company called Withings produced the world's first smart scale, and they are still the best. In fact, Tom's Guide rated Withings Body Plus the best overall smart scale in 2020. If you're looking to lose weight, willpower is key, but so is having the right tools. Withings Smart Scales are known for durability and an exceptional user-friendly design. Step on and data from every weigh-in syncs automatically to the free app for iOS and Android via Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. Lots of Smart Scales don't have the Wi-Fi option, and it means you need to have your phone on you. But Withings Body Plus gives weight, full body composition, weight trend, even a local weather report. The scale can support up to 8 users and even know who is who. So here's the deal. You can get 25% off a Withings Body Plus right now at withings.com for a very limited time. 
go to withings.com. That's W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S dot com backslash MLB to get 25% off body plus body composition scale. That's W-I-T-H-I-N-G-S dot com backslash MLB to get 25% off body plus body composition scale. So they have the one nothing lead. Cal had a, a maybe even better quote um, a couple batters later where he goes, in my opinion, it's easier to play these games when you're ahead. Yeah, I would <laughs> I, I would agree with that as well. Um, but but Saunders gives up the walk as they're talking about how he hasn't walked anybody. Andrews singles. And then he he gets Josh Hamilton to roll into a double play that that brings in the tying run, but but erases the base runners. Um, and, you know, you forget how good Josh Hamilton was back mm-hmm. then, but he did not have a good game at all, which we'll probably get to later as well. But that Texas lineup, I mean, there was a reason why they went to back-to-back World Series. Josh Hamilton during the regular season had a 930 OPS. He had 43 home runs. I mean, this was supposed to be your guy if you're looking for a postseason hero. And it, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but it wasn't the case in this game. And and the one thing that really stood out before we move on from the first, so it's a 1-1 game. And, of course, the couple of base runners get on. They panned the bullpen. Because, you know, they're talking about can Joe Saunders even get out of the first at this point. you got to have a quick leash in a wildcard game. And Steve Johnson is warming <laughs> up in the Oriole bullpen, someone I had completely forgotten about until two days ago when I watched this game again. Yeah, he was uh, Steve Johnson, obviously a local hero, a bit of a local hero. And um, if there's no, you know, nothing else he could provide but long relief. And, you know, he had a couple starts here and there, but... Not really a name that's uh, that, that's probably stuck with too many Orioles fans, and you know he bounced around the league a little bit, but it's cool to you know go back and see that. It, it, just crazy to think what happens in that game if you know maybe Joe Saunders doesn't get that double play and they do go to Steve Johnson in the first inning. Yeah, I don't even want to think about that because uh, <laughs> at that point all the momentum's on the Rangers side. So, so it's a one-one game. We go to the second. Um, no runs for the Orioles, but uh, Mark Reynolds gets hit in the hand um, with a pitch. Luckily, stays in the game. But of course, when that happens, they immediately, you know, point to Nick Markakis, show him in the dugout how he got hit by that CC Sabathia pitch um, earlier in September that kept him out for the rest of the year. And and that's another big what if. You know, what if this team just has Markakis in that lineup? I mean, they, they could have gotten past the Yankees, but it, it, I remember it being really tough knowing Markakis. I mean, he was that Oriole guy, and they finally get to the postseason, and he can't play in any of the games. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. I mean, you know, he not only provided offensive value, provided defensive value. Um, and this is not to get off, off topic, but this is kind of the story of the 2014 playoffs, too. You know, the Orioles. They didn't have Manny Machado. They didn't have Chris Davis. So it's kind of been a, a reoccurring theme, but uh, you got to kind of you got to roll with the punches. Yeah, and and Mark Reynolds actually ends up stealing a base in that inning. So they <laughs> they obviously had uh, something on you, Darvish, and how slow he was to the plate. Mark Reynolds had one stolen base all the regular season. He steals one, um, and I think this was oh no, it was not the last Cal quote I wrote down. Um, but it was another notable one that he said on the broadcast. And the second, uh, Ryan Flaherty comes up, and Cal just goes something about how tall he is for a middle infielder. And like <laughs> yeah. middle infielders usually aren't that tall. Ryan Flaherty six three, Cal Ripken six four. Six three. That's, yeah. that's, that's all I have to say about that one. Is Cal Ripken was surprised that someone who was as tall as him um, was playing a similar position to him. So, 
Yeah, and I think I think it was John Smoltz who pointed out right away. So lest we forget. <laughs> yeah. Um, so no runs uh, for either team in that second inning as Joe Saunders kind of settled down. He got a couple strikeouts um, in that second. Really wasn't a strikeout pitcher. He only had four on the day, but he he struck out Napoli and Giovanni Soto, who was uh, the catcher back then. I think Mike Napoli's jersey was still fully buttoned up in the second inning. Probably was not the case um, later in the game. But both pitchers kind of settled in. And it weirdly became a pitcher's tool between you, Darvish, and, and Joe Saunders there for a while. Yeah, the funniest part of the broadcast, I thought, was when they referred to Joe Saunders as Bazooka Joe Saunders, which I hadn't heard that name. I don't know. I had was... never heard that nickname either, and they said it multiple times. Yeah, so I kind of found that to be pretty funny. But yeah, you don't really expect a uh, pitcher's duel, and especially in Texas. I mean, that's about as hitter-friendly as you can get next to Camden Yards. So pretty interesting game. Yeah, Bazooka Joe. I mean, Bazooka Joe is the name of the mascot for Bazooka Gum, right. um, which, but I could not find, had a <laughs> little dive on Google, could not find where that got attached to Joe Saunders. I mean, a lot of baseball names are kind of stupid in how they, they're given to players, so it could just be somebody was chewing Bazooka Gum, they were teammates with Joe Saunders, and said, wow, his name's Joe, and started calling him Bazooka Joe. But I could not find why he got that nickname other than that. Yeah, I guess you couldn't reach out to uh, Joe Saunders for comment for this. <laughs> um, but the, the teams go scoreless. Um, in that third inning, Josh Hamilton again comes up, strikes out on three pitches uh, to end the inning against uh, Joe Saunders. Wouldn't be the last time Hamilton does that in the game. Uh, <laughs> in the top of the fourth inning, we see Jim Tomei get a hit um, for the Orioles. I mean, for Orioles fans, I think they remember that because he came over and and he was in the lineup pretty much most of the season. But imagine you're a baseball fan, not of the Baltimore Orioles, and you're rewatching this game and you realize Jim Tomei was an Oriole in the last year of his career. Yeah, and he went, uh, you know, he went the opposite way too, and that was impressive. And right down the third base line, there was no chance he was getting to second base on that. But you know, you like to see uh, if it's not a home run, you like to see him get on base some way somehow. So. And my, my immediate thought um, seeing Jim Tomei in an Oreo uniform was what Tom Brady is about to look like um, <laughs> in, in a Tampa Bay Buccaneers uniform. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But uh, the age 42 Jim Tomei still hitting the ball. Hit, hit a ball hard earlier in the game, too. Ian Kinsler made a nice diving play in right. Um, I think bottom of the fourth, uh, as we get there, was the first time they they called him Bazooka Joe as he got another strikeout of Napoli and then I don't know if you noticed at the end of the fourth inning they actually talked about it at the top of the fifth but there was first and third and two down and and Soto grounds one to Flaherty and he flips to second thinking there was one out and yep. turns to, to see Hardy try and turn the double play and instead Hardy's just walking off the field uh, and Flaherty <laughs> looks very confused poor Flash I feel bad for him and Definitely don't want to look embarrassed on the national stage, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, they they, they brought it up in the next inning. Uh, Hugh Darvish got a 1-2-3 fifth, and then Joe Saunders, end of the fifth, got another double play on Elvis Andrus. Um, and that was kind of the, the story of the day, and that's the story of Joe Saunders. I mean, he's not going to strike a lot of guys out. Um, he's not going to throw very hard, but he, he throws <clears> a good two-seamer for a lefty, and, you know, if he can get ground balls, it's, it's how he can be effective. Yeah, and he got plenty of ground balls when he needed to in this game. I mean, 
I think it seemed like the Rangers had maybe you can check this on the, the box score, but it seemed like the Rangers had, you know, runners on base every single inning. It was first and third and he was able to get that ground, that ground ball double play and escape damage and only allow the one run. And in, in the bottom of that fifth inning uh, on the broadcast, they showed the the bracket for the American league playoffs and John Smoltz made a March madness reference and it made me very sad all over again yeah, to, yeah. To, mm-hmm. to have no sports. It was, it was tough, even though it was eight years ago to hear someone say March Madness, but we'll all get through it. Don't worry. Uh, to, to the top of the sixth, um, the scoring finally opens up. Each team got a run in the first. Um, the pitchers kind of settled down, but then the Orioles uh, were able to get to you, Darvish, and it was J.J. Hardy with a single, and then something we I just feel like you don't see a lot anymore was Chris Davis uh, hitting a tough pitch into right field for a base hit, mm-hmm. um, covers the corners with nobody out, and I mean, that was just, even though that year, Chris Davis, he had a good year, but that was not his peak at all. That still just looked like a completely different Chris Davis than what we see now. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to use all fields, and he seemed a lot more confident at the plate at the time. And he was coming off of September where he really shined. I think he had, what, he had like 10 home runs that month and 33 for the entire year. And that obviously led into the breakout year of 2013. And so they get first and third with nobody out. And then Adam Jones delivers with a sack fly to right. Uh, It scores J.J. Hardy. And uh, I did forget for a little bit what it looks like to watch J.J. Hardy run the bases. And wow, (laughs) I mean, it's tough to watch him run. Yeah, I didn't think he was uh, I didn't think he was that slow back in 2012, but I stand corrected. Um, You know, not not the most nimble nimble player as he was with the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, I don't know if he was ever nimble, but yeah, it's uh, it's pretty tough to watch. I, I always say J.J. Hardy would be the hardest player to like see in the run of play if he ever suffered an injury because he just always looks like he's running injured, like like his feet hurt with every single step. He's <laughs> got like shin splints or like yeah. a hammy or something every play. But the Orioles uh, do take a 2-1 to one lead on that Jones – Sack fly. Darvish gets out of the inning with a strikeout of Tomei, but the Orioles lead it two to one. And then back comes Joe Saunders in the sixth. Uh, he gets Hamilton to ground out. Um, but again, a tough day for Josh Hamilton continues another one pitch out for him. He didn't even look really competitive on on no. most of his at bats, as we'll talk about the big one, obviously, in the eighth. But mm-hmm. uh, Saunders gets the next out fly ball from from Beltre, um, and, and that would do it for Joe Saunders and he leaves the game five and two thirds, the one run. Uh, he had four strikeouts, just one walk. He walked the leadoff batter. That was the only guy who walked all day. And, you know, you're watching that game with the Orioles up two to one in the six going. I mean, that was probably best case scenario for Baltimore, what they got out of Saunders. For sure. And they uh, handed it over to Darren O'Day, who was pretty much the stopper all year. And um, we'll talk about it, but he, he gave him a little bit of length in the game, which they desperately need, needed, and it uh, worked out in the end. Yeah, he uh, O'Day comes in to face future Orioles star Nelson Cruz and mm-hmm. uh, gets him to pop out. Uh, two, two future Orioles were in that Texas yes. lineup, uh, mm-hmm. not just Nelson Cruz, but Craig Gentry was in the nine hole uh, for the Rangers as well. The secret weapon. So... O'Day gets out of it. They go to the seventh, and, and I think this was key for the O's right there in the seventh to add another run. Uh, Darvish stays in the game. He strikes out Reynolds. 
And then Ryan Flaherty gets himself mm-hmm. a single off of you, Darvish. Uh, we see Robert Andino come in to pinch run for him there. Um, and then Manny Machado with a sack bunt. And that would do it for you, Darvish. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, I really think Robert Andino was the unsung hero of this game, like especially coming in, pinch running, um, and especially the big hit later in the game. He was, he, I completely forgot that he played a role in this game. So Andino comes in and pinch runs. Manny Machado again with a, with a bunt, with a sack bunt. You just don't think that's going to be coming from Manny Machado, but hey. It wasn't a great sack bunt at that. Yeah, but it, it got the job done. But I guess he's your nine hitter, and Buck didn't do it a lot, but he does it right there. And then the Rangers pull the old uh, the playoff bullpen. They bring in a starter out of the pen. Um, it's Derek Holland, who was throwing 95 from the left side out of the bullpen. Mm-hmm. Um, but he uncorked a wild pitch to Nate McClouth. that sent Andino to third, and then McClouth singles to score Andino to make it a – three to one game and Holland came in really for the lefty lefty. And even though it's a lefty lefty matchup, I mean, for a guy that's a starter all year, it's always tough to ask him to, to, to relieve in a game that important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't not his best showing and Derek Holland's been kind of a stalwart throughout his career. He's been bounced, bounced around a little bit, but he's always been kind of reliable and not in this game. So again, that was part one of a two-part conversation with Matthew Pine as we did a little 2012 AL wildcard game rewatch. Hope you enjoy the first part. Again, the second part will come out tomorrow, Tuesday, as we finish off the game and kind of look back more on that 2012 Orioles team and just some some funny things from, from our first part of the conversation. Obviously, Cal Ripken, incredible baseball player, not the greatest of, of broadcasters, Um and, you know, he, he did a solid job there. And as Matthew said, he was kind of there to give the uh, the insight on the Orioles team that a lot of people didn't know a lot about at that point. Hadn't been to the playoffs in 15-plus years. And, you know, not a lot of well-known names on that team. But uh, he did say some interesting things during that broadcast. And really, Joe Saunders. I mean, you, you look back on that game and how good Saunders was for how bad he had been in his career against the Rangers, especially at that ballpark. And he gives him five and two-thirds, gives up one run. I mean, he was fantastic. And Orioles fans will always at least love him for that moment in the first ever uh, AL wildcard game. So that'll do it for this one. Um, again, tomorrow we'll have part two of that rewatch. Remember, head over to YouTube. Whole game's there for free if you watch it back and listen to the pod along with it. Um, Matthew Pine will join us for part two tomorrow. And again, continue to vote on the greatest Oreo of all time bracket. Again, the voting will continue through today and tomorrow and for the next couple of weeks on our Twitter account at Locked on Orioles. And remember, if you like the podcast, you can subscribe if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a rating and a review if you can. It really helps out the pod. And remember, continue your social distancing and, and we'll try to help you get through it here on the podcast we're going to continue with the daily episodes during the weekdays trying to help you out for what most of you have is a lot of time at home at the moment but continue to do your civic duty and and stay home if you can but this has been the locked on orioles podcast part of the locked on podcast network and now tell your smart device to play the latest episode of locked on fantasy baseball